Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, good morning, New Community Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? It is good to see each and every one of you here. We're so excited that you're with us. And if you're our guest here this morning, maybe it's your first time, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're glad that you're joining us. This is the second week of our series called Elephant in the Room. And in this series, we're going to be tackling some really tough topics. You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world around us, and and you turn on the news, you go on Facebook or any kind of social media, and you see a lot is happening. And so in this series, we're looking at what are some of these tough topics and how do we respond as the church? What should our response be? And, and what does the word, God, word of God say about many of these things? And so last week, we looked at world religions. So other religions, we talked about that. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to the podcast because we looked at what Scripture said and how we respond as a church um, as we interact with other people from other worldviews. And this week, we're going to be talking about issues of sexuality. And once again, man, you, you look at in the media and the culture and news, all of these things, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of questions. And so once again, we want to look at how do we respond as a church? What is our response and what should that be? And so we're going to be tackling some very tough topics today and looking at scripture and looking at the word of God. And as we do this, um, and this is the whole heart of this series is the goal of this is that it would open up conversations with other people. We believe that as Christians, we should know why we believe what we believe. Once again, not just because, hey, our pastor said it or I heard someone say this one time, but that you would know, you would understand what scripture said and you would be able to to discuss with people, even that see the world very different from you. And so that's the heart of this series that we would be able to do that. And as we do that, and as we walk through this series, not just today, but also over the next few Sundays, I wanna encourage you in a few things. As we talk about even today in this issue of sexuality, As we begin to dialogue with people, I think as the church, there's a conversation um, that we need to have or a place in which the conversation needs to start. And it needs to start with these words, we're sorry. We're sorry, you guys. Because I believe many times in a whole variety of areas as it deals with our sexuality, we have not gotten this right as the church. We've not, we've missed it. We've missed what God has asked us to be in representing him to the world. And many times, Man, we've judged people rightly or wrongly that we've come across very offensive to people. And so the conversation needs to start right there at that place. Hey, I'm sorry. Many times as a church, we've gotten this wrong. And so that's the heart of this is that we want to open up the discussion. And what we do many times as a church is we do this is either we're all grace, okay, So it's all the grace of God, right? Like, yes, you've messed up, but it's okay. God's going to cover that. And and it's, yeah, you can keep on doing that. And and man, if it feels good to you, it's okay. Man, the grace of God is there for you and it's all grace. And we're trying to extend the love of God, but we do so by sacrificing the truth. And then other times you've got this other side or other Christians who are over here and it's all truth. They don't care about the grace, man. God hates you. God's judging you. You're going to go to hell. And, And they They think, hey, I'm speaking what the truth is. I'm speaking the word of God, but without understanding that Jesus came with both of those. 
And as Christians, we're called to represent both of those. If you're erring on one side or the other, you are not properly representing Jesus as we see him in the scripture because John chapter one says that, that Jesus came speaking both grace and truth, both grace and truth that the love of God was there, the forgiveness of God was there, but God was calling us as humanity, as his people, to live in the way that he had designed us to live, that there is a purpose and there's a way that we were designed to live in relationships with each other, both grace and truth. And so we need to recognize that as we walk through this series. The second thing is we talk through some of these issues. Many people would say, you know what? The church is just out of date, you guys. In the Bible, man, it's talking about a culture so long ago and things so long ago. And so, man, it's so difficult. The church just really needs to catch up. And we need to look at scripture in our current culture, in our modern culture. And to that, I would say these two things. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, we believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God. What do we mean by that? The the Bible, as it was written, is just not the thoughts of men. But this is God who inspired the Holy Spirit, who wrote through men, who wrote through human authors, but it's his words to humanity of his plan of salvation and how we're meant to live in right relationship with him and others. We believe that it's inspired, but we also believe it's inerrant, that the truth that we discover in the scripture is applicable to our life 2,000 years ago in that culture and right now today in our culture, that what it says is truth for us in this time that we live in. And so this is what we do. We do not interpret scripture through our worldview. I don't come to the Bible and say, this is the way that I am, or this is my background, and this is my experience, so this must be what the word of God meant when it said this. I don't do that. But rather, I allow scripture to interpret my life. This is what the word of God says, so this is what it must mean for me. This is what it must be for me. I allow scripture to change me. I don't change scripture to suit what I wanna think or what I believe. And it's vitally important that we realize this as the church, that the word of God, when it speaks on these issues, it does so with grace and truth, but we need both of those as we interact and as we dialogue about these things. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, once again, some of these tough issues. And I've asked some of our staff to help us out this morning. And so um, if you would give Alita Foster a hand as she makes her way forward. And my beautiful wife, Sarah, is going to be helping us out. Jason, our worship pastor, is going to be on the panel today, as well as Genesis Strand, his wife. And as we tackle some of these tough issues... um, I've asked each of them, we gave them to them ahead of time, and they've had some time to research and and to look. And we want to encourage you once again to take notes on these things that we're going to be talking about. So in front of you, there's a little card that says sermon notes on them. You can take out your smartphone or if you have a tablet and take notes on these. As we walk through different passages of scripture, I want to encourage you, write these down. We're going to mention some blogs and some other internet resources that you can look at that are going to help you to take this conversation further. And so the first kind of tough topic that we want to tackle this morning as we look at um, sexuality and how God designed us is this question right here. It's, um, does the Bible say that homosexuality is a sin? Can you be a Christian and be gay? So what does the word of God say about that? So I'm going to start this one, kick us off. Um, And as Aaron said, we go to the Bible first um, to discover what the Bible has to say. And yes, it very clearly teaches that homosexual acts are are sin. Um, And I'm going to toss out some scriptures here. And again, um, please, please write these down, look them up, study them, uh, because you do need to know. So Leviticus 18.22 
and Leviticus 20, 13. Those are very specific Old Testament scriptures um, walking through uh, and explaining that homosexual acts were considered sinful. But then it's also in the New Testament as well. So Romans chapter 1, there's 1 Timothy chapter 1, Mark 10, and 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. So it's important for us to note, and Aaron mentioned this, that um, the Bible has not existed in a bubble. It's in the real world. So homosexuality is not a new thing. Um, it's been around for thousands of years, as long as man has been around. Um, and it's been documented in the Roman Empire, Greek civilization, all the way back into Assyrian civilizations. Um, and still the Bible, even back then, stood and said this was considered by God to be sinful. And those in the modern age now, um, and you might have heard this, Christian people or supposed biblical scholars who say, uh, no, that's actually not what those scriptures mean, are not doing that because we've got some new evidence. Um, there's not been any new interpretation or some kind of new discovery that the language is different or the interpretation was wrong. Those who have changed their mind on this have, have changed their mind because of the worldview they're bringing to the scriptures, not because the scriptures themselves have changed. And um, if you observe, if you listen to any of these people talking through it, you can see it in the way that they bring their argument forward. In fact, I don't think that there is even one um, theologian in this kind of, uh, you know, supposedly gay Christian camp um, that actually will straight out say, yes, the Bible is the ultimate authority, that it's breathed by God. They've kind of moved on past that. So the scriptures are very clear. Um, the Bible, even without going into like specific scriptures, if you look throughout the Bible, it is a heterosexual book. So throughout the Bible, it talks about male-female relationships. That's the only marriage that is ever discussed in the Bible because it's the only marriage that God recognizes and has ordained. Um, even from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, of course, is a male-female relationship um, from the beginning. And, and that's important to note, not just because... Um, you know, God decided to make a helper, and there, you know, there are people who continue to dispute and say, well, you know, it just happens that he made a woman. It could, it could have been, you know, a man. But it's that God's design is embedded into the fabric of, of male and female together. Um, from the beginning, we both reflect um, the nature of God. And this, like, complementary relationship between a man and a woman is very important. It's a very important part of God's design yeah. because together, both physically, but also spiritually, um, emotionally, we fit together like we're supposed to. And so it's really important that we note that, that the, the male-female relationship throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is the one that God affirms. Um, but it is also very important to note this. And, and if you're in the room today and you struggle with same-sex temptation, um, attraction, and that's something that's very real in your life, you need to know the gospel is good news to you. Yeah. It's not a message of condemnation. Just like it is to all of us, everyone in this room is a sinner. Okay, no one is isolated out or it's your sin is worse than my sin. It's sin and God sees it as sin. And the gospel is a message of yep. good news, of freedom. And as Aaron said, it's grace and truth. Yep. Um, we don't bring hope, and hope doesn't come to our lives by minimizing our sin, but by realizing how big God's grace is. 
And in fact, if we kind of minimize the sin, and the sin is really not as bad as we say it is, then God's grace isn't as great as God says that his grace is. And I, I want to share this quote with you from um, Sam Alibari. He's a, a pastor in Britain, and he has struggled with same-sex uh, temptations his entire life. Um, but he's lived a celibate life. And um, someone asked him, do you think, though, that it's harder for gay people or homosexual people to try to live this Christian life? And this is what he said. Every Christian is called to costly sacrifice. Denying yourself doesn't mean tweaking your behavior here and there. The gospel demands everything of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or their aspirations, it's likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. Um, and I heard this, the new birth is proven by the new life. When we come to Christ, we do leave everything behind us. Uh, and it's proven that we're changed, that our lives are different because we're living that out day to day in a life of sacrifice. And that's true for all of us. And again, if you're in this room and either you struggle in this way or you know someone who struggles in this way, a, a couple of resources I would really, really, really highly recommend. Um, the first is a blog called How Wide the Divide. It's by Ravi Zacharias amazing, amazing response to, um, he wrote this right after the gay marriage proposal went through at the federal government level. Every Christian should read this blog. It's incredible. Um, and another one by Dr. Michael Brown, what the Bible really says about homosexuality. Um, he goes really, really deep into this topic in a lot of ways. And it always with amazing love and grace. I absolutely love his approach, and I really encourage you guys to check that out. And then one last, a book by Dr. Michael Brown called Can You Be Gay and Be a Christian? Um, not just a resource for people who struggle in that way, but a resource for all of us to know how to start these conversations, how to love people with grace and truth, um, how to continue to be who Christ has called us to be. Yeah, it's good. And I think a lot of times, like, you may hear people say that even if they... Um, agree with scripture in what it's saying there that, hey, there are these verses that say homosexuality is a sin. It's clear in scripture. But people will say, well, can I still be a Christian and be gay? Like, can I do that? Um, and can I still like have these same-sex attractions and still be a follower of Christ? Hey, there are all of us in this room, and I would doubt there's almost anyone in this room that doesn't struggle with some kind of temptation or a sin, okay? That's all of us in this room. And it doesn't mean it's a sexual sin. For some of you, it may be lying. It may be angry heart, you know, hatred in your heart or these different types of things. And so, but the problem is with that question there, can I be a Christian and be gay? Can I be a gay Christian is how a lot of them um, would word this is it becomes an issue of identity. And you guys, for all of us, when we come to the cross, we lay down who we are. We lay down who we were. We lay down past sins, past wants, past desires, past temptations. Those are buried at the cross, and I am no longer identified by them. The Word of God says that I am seen through God through the righteousness of Christ, not through who I was as sinful Aaron, not the issues of the past. And so the, the issue becomes when I still want to hold on to that and identify, no, that's who I am. I I am a gay Christian, and so this all of a sudden becomes a part of my identity. The word of God is very clear in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. When God is creating man and woman, it says this, we were made in his image. We're to reflect his likeness, not the likeness of a sinful nature, not the identity of a sinful nature. And so 
I would caution anyone, it becomes very dangerous if you're holding on to anything as that identity, a sinful nature of the past, whether it's um, in your sexuality or whether it's in a different part of your life. If you're saying, no, that's who I am as a Christian, it becomes dangerous because all of us are called to lay that down and to take up the image of Christ and to begin to reflect him. And so are there still going to be struggles there? Yes, the struggles are going to be real. And if you've struggled with same-sex attraction, you don't come to Christ, you don't repent, and all of a sudden those are magically taken away. There's plenty of testimonies of people who, who have walked out, who God's brought healing from that kind of lifestyle, and their struggle is still real. But like all of us, they're saying, hey, I'm daily laying that down at the feet of Jesus, and I'm constantly taking on his identity and saying, God, help me to reflect you in every area of my life, including my sexuality. And so it's important that we realize that um, as the church. The second question that we want to tackle um, here this morning is, how does God view people who are transgender? So what does scripture say about that? I'm going to tackle this one. Um, this is obviously a subject that, you know, uh, the church is going to be facing this more and more and learning how to uh, interact with people who are confused about who they were created to be. You know, they're... Uh, it's a difficult thing, so we need to understand how God feels about it, and it's it's difficult because Scripture there's not there's not a whole lot of scriptures that you can attach to like it, where it speaks specifically to someone who is transgender. Uh, there is a, a verse in um, Deuteronomy that talks about. Um, that, that women should not dress or act like men, and, and, and men the same, that that's, that it's an abomination to God. But this is far deeper than that. It's more than just dressing up and looking like a, a, a woman if you're a man or something like that. It's far deeper than that. This is somebody who's saying that I, I was made this one way. I, I, I look like a man, but I feel like something different on the inside. Uh, so we're going to look at what God says. Some of, it, some of what uh, Pastor Aaron and Sarah were saying is going to overlap here, talking about creation. And we're going to look at uh, all throughout the Bible, we see uh, the character of God in all these different stories, the Bible is about him. And uh, we're going to look at, at, at one of the characters of God and just uh, see if we can understand this a little better. So um, in, first of all, we're going to look in Genesis once again in Genesis 1, verse 27. Uh, and this is where God is, is creating everything, and he, he creates man and woman and says that they're good. And, uh, you know, he created man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. And then he saw that man needed a helpmate. He needed someone there with him. And um, he, he, he put Adam to sleep and removed a rib, and that's how he created woman. And uh, man and woman play very significant roles all throughout the word of God, um, each, you know, having different uh, characteristics that define them. It was, it was an important thing. And God at the end of that said it was good. Uh, so we have to trust to that. <laughs> um, and later on, we look at Psalm 139, uh, verse 4. And please write these down uh, so you can check them out later. Um, this is a Psalm of David where he's talking about being, uh, being crafted in his mother's womb and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's, that tells us that God is not, he didn't, you know, like clay, wad you up in a ball and throw you up in the sky and hope you turned out to be something great. He, he, he crafted you. He cared, like so much care went into who you are uh, by our God. He, he cared about every little intricacy that makes you you. I mean, just think about everything that in our body that, that, that causes us to live every single day, all these intricate things. He, he spent time on you, yeah. and he spent time creating each and every one of us, and he was very attentive. Um, and then later on, this is the, the, the spot where we see this, this particular character of God in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 33, says, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He, 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 didn't, he, didn't, 
his goal isn't cause confusion in our life. His goal is to bring peace. Um, so this automatically tells us, it, 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 you yeah. know, we believe the word of God to be truth. If we as Christ followers believe this, uh, then, then God couldn't possibly create uh, a, a man that's supposed to be a woman or vice versa. This yeah. would make God extremely cruel, wouldn't it? We couldn't yeah. sing songs like we sang earlier that, that you are good. Because he's he's not if that's the case. If he you know if he created you and, and and gave you the body of a man, but made you to feel like a woman, that's just cruel, and that is not our God. That's not a character that he shows. Uh, the The problem with this is, it, you know, the the feelings that these people are struggling with. It all has to do with just that feelings. We can't trust our feelings. Um, just like many of us, like. Your, your worldview, the, the way you react to things, the way you think all throughout your life was shaped by how you were raised. And if there was no truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if, our, if, if we weren't raised understanding the word of God and understanding our relationship with Jesus, then we don't have any really groundwork uh, to, to, you know, we're, we're going to believe things that we were never made to believe. We're going to become people that we were never created to be. Many of us, you know, you've maybe identified with being an angry person all the time. God didn't make you that way. Yeah. He, he designed you to be a, a loving person, someone who reflects his character, and he's, he, he's not angry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so this is a prime example of the fact that we can't trust our feelings. Our feelings are deceptive. They, they lead us into places that we were never meant to be. We can look at Proverbs 28, verse uh, 26. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And then, uh, once again, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if any of you have ever given the advice, follow your heart, you know? Do what, you know, do what, do what really feels good to you. Stop giving that advice. <laughs> As Christ followers, we, we can't afford to tell people that because our hearts are going to lead us to places that God never yeah. intended for us to go. And it, it's, it's very easy to be trapped in those places at that point. So stop giving that advice. We as, as Christ followers, we stand on the word of God no matter yeah. what our feelings tell us. It's not about yeah. our feelings. Good. It's about what God says. So follow your heart. Quit giving that advice. Um, <laughs> feelings don't give us our identities. Jesus says. We learned that. Pastor Aaron said it earlier. Uh, feelings do not identify who we are. Uh, our feelings are constantly changing. That'd be impossible. Um, so really, these people desperately need a relationship with Jesus, and that's going to be yeah. up to us as Christ followers to introduce uh, them to him in a real way. And I'm going to bring this uh, like kind of to a close here. How does God feel about people who are transgender and struggle in that area? He loves them so much, and we should too. Yeah. He, he loves them so much, just like he was pursuing me before I knew him. He, he, he's pursuing these people. He, he's, he sacrificed his son on a cross while we were still sinful uh, so that we might live and have life. And he, he desires the same thing for these people. So we have to look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. This is what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So we look at that, at that, that passage of scripture there and we learn what love looks like. So we need to evaluate ourselves. Do, does the love that we have claimed to be showing look more like hate? Because it probably is. Mm -hmm. our, this is the way our love looks. 
This is, this is the cl- a clear-cut picture of what God says love looks yeah. like. So we have to really, we need to judge our, our, the way we love people based on, on this passage here in 1 Corinthians. Um, once again, 13 verses 4 through 8, if you haven't written that down. These people are no different than the, the way we started off life uh, in a sinful manner, but we found Jesus, and they need him in the same way that we uh, needed him. They need to know their identity in Christ, that their identity is not left up just, just of the way they feel. Uh, so we need to love people well. So I encourage you to check out that, that verse in 1 Corinthians, those verses there, and, and test your love because God loves these people immensely, and, and we need to pray for his heart for them as well. Yeah, that's good. I would just like to quickly add, um, I believe that God gives us the grace and the wisdom for the people that are in our lives, and I currently don't know anyone who's changed gender, so I'm not going to know the best way to help them grow in their relationship with the Lord, Um, but when that time comes, he's going to give me the wisdom that I need, and I think, especially in our culture, we want to have a a quick black and white answer that we can sit in a group and talk about, or that we can post a comment on a video that gets shared, but people aren't that simple. And this is all about yeah. people. Um, so as we have a relationship with people, God's going to give us the grace and the compassion and even the wisdom to have those really tough conversations. Yeah, that's good. The next question that we want to tackle is, why do Christians say you have to be married to have sex? Um, at, throughout Scripture, we see that God designed sex for marriage, and he designed it to be great. Um, in Genesis 2:18, it talks about how he created a companion for Adam because he saw that he shouldn't be alone. And then in verse 24, it says um, that a man will leave his, his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. God designed marriage to be an illustration of um, our relationship with him. Um, he calls us his bride. Uh, yeah. Just like, you know, the, uh, a husband and wife have a covenant of marriage and they're united and, and they become one flesh. He has a covenant with us and we are united with him. And we're one in spirit with him. Um, you know, there are, there's another scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, um, there's, that it talks about that there's so much immorality that um, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. So there are several reasons why waiting until marriage to have sex is a smart move. Um, and some maybe not as spiritual um, reasons would be to avoid pregnancy and STDs. Um, but also, you know, there are emotional issues that inevitably get brought into marriage and um, cause intimacy issues, um, yeah. emotional issues. I mean, like, it just, it really, it hinders that relationship. Um, people say that, you know, people who wait until um, marriage to have sex have better communication because they're having those deeper conversations while they're dating. They're building that friendship, which is the basis of every relationship. Um, It encourages generosity instead of selfishness because you're focused on that other person instead of what you're gaining. Um, You learn to show love and affection in other ways um, because you're learning that person's character. You're learning what has made them the person that they are today. Um, and one of the most important reasons why um, I think waiting until marriage is smart 
is you learn to find joy and satisfaction in Christ instead of that other person. Um, your intimacy, you, you, you have a deeper intimacy with the Lord and your relationship is stronger with him. When you're stronger with him, then you can be stronger with that other person. Um, and then just it really practices self-control, which you know, will only make your dating relationship stronger yeah. and also your marriage. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, it talks about um, the testing of our faith produces perseverance, which leads to godly character. Jason and I um, waited till we were married to have sex, and I very much appreciate that he was, you know, wanted the same things as me. Um, and uh, we started dating when we were 18, and we dated for six years. And, um, and it's not an easy road. It's, it's very difficult. I'm very attracted to him and, <laughs> and it's not, it's not easy, but, um, I believe that our marriage is stronger because we waited because we do have, you know, a very deep friendship. You know, we know pretty much everything there is to know about each other, but it still seems every day I learn different things about him and I think that that's because I really value him and his friendship and the person that he is not just what he can give me and um, so bottom line God designed sex for marriage and he designed it to be great but apart from um, the lifelong commitment of marriage sex will never bring the satisfaction that God designed it to give so yeah, and I'll just follow up with that, um, especially for my generation and younger, so like 20s and younger. Um, there's <laughs> there's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of angst that comes with like sex. It's no longer shameful. Even um, pregnancy outside of marriage is no longer shameful, and people boast a lot about all kinds of things. And I would just say to that that, um, our life is not our own, that when I said yes to Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we put that aside. So this, um, who is anyone else to tell me what I can do with my own body? It's mine. No, it's not. If you've given your life to Jesus, it's not yours. So by praying and asking the Lord's guidance and by looking at scripture, we can see that um, sexual morality is wrong, and that includes sex before marriage. Um, so I would just say the whole, like, I can do what I want kind of attitude that is seen a lot, um, it has no place when you have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Oh, I'll just pop in and note this. I, um, I heard this, and it's so truthful, and we need to hear it more. Um, you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. And there's a very different, a very important distinction there in that God made you as an eternal being. And what you do with your body is attached to that soul. Okay, so sex is not a physical only act. There's something that happens in that act. And that's, that's why and what we're taught in scripture is so important because when you're, having a, when you're having sex, it's not just something that happens in the physical, which is what the world is selling. But we know that there is something eternal going on there. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really important thing to take note of because, again, you're not going to hear that there. And I'd also just like to say, it, to those of you who are single or to some of you youngsters out here, um, if, you, if the person that you are dating doesn't have enough self-control to hold out for you, then why do you think when you get married, they're going to hold out for you then? 
Uh, and they're not going to be tempted and go with somebody else then. Self-control in the beginning, from the beginning, is vitally important to that relationship. And that's why God lays these things out as his yeah. divine plan for your life. That's good. The next question that we want to tackle is, if you've fallen into sexual sin, how do you heal or how do you move on from that sin? Yeah, so I'm going to start this one off. Um, when jumping into this question, I think it's important to know that this applies to all of us. Every single person in the room, this question applies to us. Um, in this area in particular, I think it's it's very easy to point the finger and say what what I'm doing isn't bad as they're doing. Um, me looking at pornography is not as bad as them cheating, or them me cheating is not as bad as, and so on and so forth. Um, but I think it was brought up last week in that Jesus says that even if you lust after someone, that's adultery. So we all have failed. We've all failed miserably, and we are in need of immense amount of grace. So every single person, this question applies. How do you heal and move on? Because we have all sinned. Um, and I think the first place is humbleness, humility with God and with others. It's, it's coming to him realizing I have messed up and I have sinned. And it's really easy, really easy to um, be offended even now. If the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart about something or convicting you, it's easy to be offended, and it's easy to put up a shield. Um, but that's when we come to God with open hands, with open arms, and just be humble before him. And an amazing example of this is um, the life of King David. So you might know about the life of King David. We're going to read in Psalms 51. And um, David wrote this psalm after he stayed home while his men went to the battlefield. He was supposed to be in battle. But he saw a woman bathing Bathsheba and had sex with her. She became pregnant, and then he killed her husband. So messed up, messed up. And yep. he's just one example in the Bible. There are many, many people who have failed um, sexually as well and that have been restored through that. Um, and David, he didn't even have the courage to step up that we read and admit his faults, to come to God and say, I'm sorry. God sent a prophet to convict him. Yeah. So he didn't even, he didn't have a place like right now we're saying open arms. No, he, from what I've, what I could pick out on, he had a hard heart until God had to call him out. But in Psalm 51, this is what he writes immediately after that. And it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And skipping down to verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not delight with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So that was King David's response and that needs to be our very first response. And you can see through here, God David realized that who God was, his character. He talks about his steadfast love and his forgiveness. Yeah. He knew God's character. And I think in this room this morning, we can know God's character. It's up to us. It's up to us to admit our faults, to come before him humbly, and to go to the people that are around us. This doesn't just affect us. It affects the people that are in our lives. It affects us as a church. Um, sexual sin is different than other sins. It's still sin, all sin, but it affects all of us. So it's important to be open and honest with others around us. Um, so I'd say the first place to start is right there. And then after that, it's to turn away from our sin. In um, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. 
Every other person, every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but a sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Yeah. And exactly what I was saying earlier, it our bodies are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And if we say that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, then we have no right to continue in our sexual sin. We have no right to continue with that because everything that we have has been given to Jesus. Um, so first of all, come to the Lord and to others humbly, knowing um, that he'll forgive. And just the last thing is, especially with um, sexual sin, there comes a lot of shame. But shame is not from the Lord. Yeah. conviction from the Holy Spirit is, but it's good news. Like Sarah was saying earlier, it's good news because we can admit, we can come before the Lord humbly, and we can have freedom. We can turn away and have freedom from what we've been struggling with. So, And I would also add, make sure um, that if you need help, counseling, go. Yep. That's That comes with being humble with the Lord and with others. And this is this could be an ongoing struggle. So get help um, when you need it, and I think that's how we heal. Yeah. yeah. In 1 John 1, 9, it talks about um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And, you know, I am so very thankful that God has given me abundant grace and forgiveness in my life, um, and it just says that we have to ask for it. So. Yeah. yeah. And I would say it. It may be difficult, man, we understand a lot of times as human, okay, God, you've forgiven us. Part of that and what Alita said that the counselor helps with is we have to forgive ourselves. You guys, sometimes that's the most difficult part of that is, is walking in that forgiveness, not just a mental knowledge like, God, you've forgiven us, but where we begin to walk in that forgiveness that God has given us and we allow that to be applied to our lives. And so, um, man, that's a difficult process. Once again, these are deep issues and... And that's part of, as Alita said, the humbling process of saying, God, I need other people that are going to speak into my life about these and help me process through that and move to that place of healing that you have for me. So once again, I would encourage you um, in those different things. So the last question that we're going to tackle this morning is, as a parent, how soon or how do I talk with my kids about sex? I love this question. <clears throat> I'm very passionate about this. If you are a mom or dad in this room, talk to your kids about sex. If you're not doing it, somebody else is doing it for you. Yeah. And I can promise you they don't love your kid like you do, and they probably don't come from a strong foundation of truth like you do. So please, please tackle the elephant in the room and talk to your kids about sex. How soon? Soon. Uh, please don't wait till they're in 12th grade and they're about to go out into the world and now we're going to have a little birds and bees talk. They've already heard it all by that point um, from all of their friends at school. So um, I, I highly recommend, if this is hard for you, okay, this is difficult for you, and I know I'm coming across like I'm super confident, okay, but my parents never talked to me about sex. They handed me a book in sixth grade and that was the end of it. Um, so I've had to learn by experience. We were youth pastors yeah. for years, so that's where this comes from. But if it's difficult for you and it's awkward, you don't know where to start, there's a fantastic set of resources from Focus on the Family that is age appropriate. So it's actually meant to kind of build on itself. You start when the kids are really young, like kindergarten age. Yes, I said kindergarten age. Um, and then start moving up and through. And this is the thing, y'all, is it's just being really real. 
Um, I saw my first pornography when I was in fourth grade. I'm a girl. That was in the 80s. Okay, so you know that most children today are exposed much younger, okay? Besides the point that you can't really drive in Dallas without driving past some cabaret little skimpy ad, okay? So your kids are exposed to this all of the time. Yeah. You gotta get real with them. So four really quick notes. Be age appropriate, okay? If your three-year-old asks you where baby comes from, don't feel like you have to go, okay, get, get real specific with the questions. What do you mean, where does the baby come from? I mean, like, does it come from your belly? Yes, yes, it does. Um, but be age appropriate, okay? When they're 14, don't answer how, you know, where does the baby come from, from a mommy's tummy. Get real, um, be, be real, uh, be age appropriate, be honest, okay? If you had struggles, if you have struggles, be honest with your yeah. kids about that. They need to know they don't struggle alone. Um, and I yeah. can guarantee you, if you have a teenager in your life, they're struggling, okay? Don't question it. They're struggling. It's the reality of, of our world right now. And so uh, share your honest struggles. Hey, when I was a teenager, I struggled with this. Like, be that place they can come to. Be open, okay? Be honest, be age appropriate, be open. Say, hey, if you screw up sexually, come to me. I'm not gonna condemn you. I'm gonna love you. I'm your parent, man. I'm here for you. I wanna walk you through this. You are the primary discipler of your children. Yes. Okay? And so when they screw up, you should be the first person they wanna call because they know you love them unconditionally and you're gonna help them go through it. Um, and lastly, just be real, okay? We talk masturbation in my house. We talk pornography in my house. I can walk into my kids' bedrooms at any point and ask them if they're struggling with any of these things. Um, I have access to their computers, their, their, their devices. I have their passwords. We have parent protection. Because I'm controlling? No, because I love my kids. Yeah. Um, and so be that parent, okay? Fight for them. Be on their side. Be real. And again, if you're not chatting about it, I guarantee you their friends at school are. And they're going to get the wrong information. And, Closing, sorry. Sex is a good thing, y'all. you guys. God created it. The world didn't create it. It's not ugly. It's not weird. It's not bad. It's a good thing. And you can't teach your kids that sex is bad, and then when they get married, expect that you know, switch to just flip like that. Sex is a good thing, and my kids know this. We talk about this. In marriage, it's awesome. Okay, and that's what it's designed for. You need to teach your kids this. We need to redeem sex because the world has turned it into something that it just is not, and God was the one who made it in the first place. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'll tell you, my parents never talked to me about sex, and I went to a private school, so it was never talked about. There was no sex education, nothing like that. So m my ideas of sex and what I knew was very skewed because it came from my friends. And um, I never, you know, I don't want Everly or any of my children to not be able to have those hard conversations that sometimes you have to have because I shied away from those awkward conversations. Like, I want them to know that sometimes you have to have those hard conversations and you have to get a little awkward because that's how they're going to know that they can stand up for themselves and and you know and know what where those lines are and, and where to draw those lines so that's great can we give our panel a hand this morning for helping us with some of these tough issues i just want to 
close by saying this, you guys. These are real issues that we're facing in our world, and we can't ignore them as the church. We can't ignore them and assume somehow they'll go away or they'll take care of themselves or our kids will somehow figure it out. Um, And so we're okay. No, we have to have these kind of active conversations with people. And once again, just where we started this conversation today, it has to be done with grace and truth. In so many areas of sexual issues, people's sexual struggles, whether it's same-sex attraction, whether it's opposite-sex attraction, we as a church, our first step has been to judge them. And it's been to point fingers and it's been to isolate or make people feel uncomfortable or they're, like they're not welcome or like we can't talk about that. And that's not the stance that we should have. That's not the position that we should take. Man, our first thing should be, once again, just as Jesus did, bringing grace and truth inside of their life. And there are going to be people, there's probably people in this church, and you struggle with same-sex attraction, or you struggle with issues about your gender and, and how God made you. And man, we want this to be a place where we can have open conversations with about that, where we can, we can look at scripture and we can see where Jesus is moving us and what he wants for our life, but it can be an open dialogue, not where you feel like, well, I can't bring that up or no one's going to understand. And we all have those issues in our life that we're struggling with, brokenness from our past, brokenness from our environment, brokenness from our life. And we believe that Christ is wanting to redeem all of us no matter what that struggle is. And so that's what we want as a church, that we would be able to talk about these things And I want to close by praying for us. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I'm going to ask just that right where you're at, that you would join me in this prayer. You would just begin to talk to God. And let's ask God that this week, that as we go out with the relationships that we have, that God would help us to be a church that represents grace and truth to the world around us that are asking these questions. Let's pray together. God, we come before you this morning, Lord. And God, I thank you for the truth in your word, God. Jesus, I thank you for who you were. You had every right to condemn us. You had every right to judge us. And yet you didn't come doing that, God. You came, God, with grace and love. Lord, restoring our relationship that had been broken with you. God, you came and you gave yourself for us so that we could know who you are. And I pray, let us be a church. Let us be people that represent you well to a world that is hurting, God, to a world that is broken. Lord, to a world that needs answers. God, help us to not shy away from the truth. God, we don't want to change your word to fit what our world says or to fit culture, God, or what we think it should be. Help us to be people of truth, Lord, that stand upon your word, God, and speak, Lord, both grace, the love of the kingdom, and God, the truth of the kingdom, what you've called us to be. God, do that through each and every one of us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen, church. I want to encourage you, look up those resources that we've given you um, this week. Use those. Allow God to open up conversations. We love you, and we will see you on Saturday for the Back to School Fair. Have a great week.